Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, August 10th, the Raising Empowered Athletes edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who's 10, and we live in Los Angeles. I'm Zach Rosen. I host another podcast. It's called The Best Advice Show, and I'm dad to Noah, who is going to be six this month, and Ami, who is going to be three next month. We live in Detroit. We're going to start today's show, as we often do, by sharing our biggest parenting triumphs and fails for the week. And then it's August, meaning fall youth sports at our kids' schools are underway, and with it, the inevitable set of questions and complications that come along. We welcome author Kristen Jones. Her new book is Raising Empowered Athletes, a youth sports parenting guide for raising happy, brave, and resilient kids. It's a timely guide for any of us trying to be the best sports parents we can be. Then, if you're sticking around for Slate Plus, we're going to unpack a piece we loved in The Atlantic asking, what if friendship, not marriage, was at the center of life? Well, I always talk about this group of guy friends that, I, that I've had since kindergarten mm-hmm. um, who, who remain among my closest friends. In fact, we were on our monthly Zoom meeting last night planning our annual trip together where we rent a house and just hang out mm-hmm. um, and talk and eat edibles for a weekend. That, that relationship with those friends is twice as long as my relationship with my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, like this, it's, it's n- literally nearly almost my entire life and I think is a huge part of my identity. Not only do you get a whole segment each week, but as a Slate Plus member, you'll also get to listen to this show ad-free. No interruptions. We know as parents, you get enough of those already. It's also what keeps the lights on around here. So please, join if you can. You can sign up for Slate Plus now at slate.com slash Plus. All right, we're going to catch up on our week in parenting as soon as we get back from this short break. All right, Zach, what have you been up to this week? Well, uh, Shira was at a conference for... It was a long conference. It was... She was gone from Sunday to Thursday. So this is, so I was home with both kids on my own. So really my, my triumph is, is also a tribute to you and all the other single parents out there, Jamila, because that was my first real long haul doing it just myself. And damn, my gosh. It's a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot. And um, I theoretically and philosophically appreciated that before, before doing it. But this was, this was, um, I mean, it was lovely. It was great. It was actually like, I I feel like bonding for it just to be me, Mm -hmm. for for everything to to fall on my shoulders for the week. Um, But it was also like a real challenge. And um, we got through it. The kids, um, I think, ate more mac and cheese than usual. Um, I found myself like less interested in keeping the house up and like cooking as as I do when it's the four of us, it was more just like kind of get through it vibes mm-hmm. than, you know, get the gold star. But um, it was really nice. And I think it also was an opportunity for the kids to, I don't know, I see them bonding more and more each day. And um, I think with me just like cooking and no one else to play with them um, or cleaning, you know, them just having each other, not having a parent to, you know, ask to play with. I think they, they every day are kind of becoming more, um, I shouldn't call it self-sufficient, but like, you know, um, 
able to just hang out the two of them without needing too much from us. Of course, you know, they still want to be read to and, and all the things, but um, they are becoming a great duo. And um, I didn't think that it would be accelerated by my wife not being here, but just the circumstances of them just kind of like being up in Noah's room and playing in her dollhouse or being down in the basement on their own. It was like, wow, these kids are growing up and I am impressed. Um, and just kind of watching as it's happening. So shout out to you and all the single parents. It, it's, it's some real stuff. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, happy to report that I made it through. You made it through and the kids are getting well, big. They're needing you less and less. Noah's starting kindergarten this month. Oh my gosh. This wow. is a big month. Yeah. Yeah. They're getting big. What's going on with you? You're in New York City. I'm in New York City. I've been here for a week. I'm here another week. Um, that is my triumph and fail. Naima's father and stepmother uh, are traveling at this time. And originally they were supposed to be gone for two weeks. And so their plan was for Naima and her brother to go with her stepmother's parents. So she was supposed to go down to Texas for two weeks, but then they ended up only booking them for a week because I think her stepmom is coming back earlier than her dad. So I booked my trip for two weeks based on them being gone for two weeks. Uh And so, you know, then it hit Naima before I was leaving, like, I'm going to be gone for a week. You're going to be on for two weeks. That's not fair. and I'm not going to see you. And so I definitely felt bad about that, but I'd already booked my trip, you know, and you know how much it is to, like, changing the changing an airline ticket is like buying another ticket at this point uh-huh. you know so i just decided to keep my original week and i mean two weeks instead of coming back earlier um being here is bittersweet you know like i, I have a lot of pain over not living here anymore you know like i'm still mm-hmm. grieving but it's been good to see my people see my friends see my sister see the city that i love so much and i am going to my goal is to figure out a way to come here every four to six weeks. I don't know what that looks like. Oh, that would be great. I need some sort of job, some sort of gig. If anybody has anything for me, let me know. But I really do want to be somewhat bicoastal and get here regularly, you know, at least every two months. I think that'd be really good for my mental health. What are some things that you miss the most that you've gotten to do? Um, just being outside in Brooklyn, you know, it's just such a special place to me. I, I haven't been to a ton of restaurants or any of my old haunts like that, really. I mean, I went to a bar I used to go to, and I did go to Junior's, the famous cheesecake place. Um, but it's just being here, you know, like even when I'm staying at a friend's house and even when I'm in the house, just this feeling that I have of being in New York is so good and so... Mm-hmm you know, welcoming to me. I actually talked to Elizabeth yesterday and have an update from her. Oh, let's hear um, it. Yeah, listeners, Elizabeth is going to be back soon. So so I, we miss her as much as you do. She will be back. But, you know, she is stepping into her new life in Japan where her family just moved. She'll give us the big updates when she returns. But there are just a couple things. They, ha- they got like an adorable mini minivan. Like Aww. think of like... I don't know. It's a, it looks like a dustbuster. It's purple. It's very cute. I don't know if it has three rows, but um, for new drivers in Japan, apparently, you put a magnet on the car that signifies that you're a new driver. Oh, wow. So like the other drivers are like patient with you, which um, 
I love that. That's such a cool custom. Um, so they, they got a car. They, they have a place that they're moving into soon. Um, they also found the... I don't know if it's the world's biggest slide or Japan's biggest slide. If you go to Liz's Instagram, you can see, but they went down this like incredible slide that like weaves in and out of really hilly, um, like foresty area. Mm -hmm. That seems amazing. They've been going to restaurants and grocery stores and just not knowing what the hell they are buying Mm -hmm. because it's not in English. So they are complete fish out of water. But like, I think, this is this is where Mama Elizabeth thrives, you know, in these in these liminal spaces as they try to kind of acclimate to 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 a new life. So that's just you know wetting your palate, but um, they're they're doing well, and hopefully Elizabeth will be back soon um, to give us the real the real deets. Well, we are looking forward to her return, and glad to hear that she's smoothly transitioning into her Japan life. All right, on that note, we're going to take another quick break. We'll see you back here for our interview. We're back, and we're going to listen to an interview Elizabeth did recently with author Kristen Jones. It's about her new book, Raising Empowered Athletes, a youth sports parenting guide for raising happy, brave, and resilient kids. Zach, you were an athlete as a child. You had sports parents. What was that like? I was a sports kid, and um, yeah, I always say that baseball was my first love. I played a little bit of soccer too, but like baseball was what I thought about all the time. And for like ninety nine percent of the time, I mean, my mom was always amazing. She came to every game. My dad came to every game. He coached for many years. But I, I've told the story here before about my dad getting thrown out of my baseball game. This is before the score was even kept. Like there were no stakes to it, but he, he went crazy this one time when I was six years old. I don't need to get back into that because like for the rest of the time, he was, he was a dream, uh, coach. He did not put too much pressure on me. He loved it. Um, my mom still talks about how like one of her favorite things was going to my baseball games and like sitting with the other parents. Um, I think because I wasn't, I was good, but like, I wasn't amazing. And I think that, you know, if you're like really good, you can have a parent who puts some, some pressure on you, um, intentionally or unintentionally to really excel and, you know, try to like work toward like getting a scholarship or something. I think, I think because I wasn't that good, it benefited me because my parents were, were pretty chill and just like happy to be there. Um, like I played a little travel baseball for like a summer or two but like I was not we were not the family that was like traveling every weekend to a you know to a new tournament spending spending all our savings on on you know flying to the middle of the country to like compete for for eight hours so um I I had a pretty idyllic uh sports childhood what about you I did not play any sports um I wish that my parents had nudged me toward one or pushed me but I didn't really have any activities you know I wanted to play with dolls and read books and my parents indulged that I attempted shot put one year maybe my junior year in high school and a lot of my girlfriends ran track, so it was a cool way to hang out with them. And I had friends on the guys' track team, so it was a fun social activity. But then my good girlfriend, who, 
played tennis already, decided that she wanted to join the team and do shot put too. And she was just more athletic than me and she was better than me. And I cursed her out so bad for taking my thing away. <laughs> I feel terrible. Shot put seems like such an esoteric kind of random thing to go after. It is. It really is. You know, and it was just kind of like the sturdier girls did this, you know, like girls that were a little heavier, a little stronger, you know, did shot put. Um, but I was never much of an athlete. So I didn't really get into fitness and working out and all that stuff until I was well into adulthood, unfortunately. Um, I did want to impress my dad. My stepsister was on the track team at her school and she was very good. So I was excited for my dad to get to see me at tournaments too. But it was short-lived. I think I did like one that he was at. Yeah. And now Naima is a basketball player. Naima plays basketball. Um, she's set out the last couple of months, but I think she's going to be getting started back up soon. And her dad is a great sports dad. Like both her and her brother play mm. basketball and he, you know, they have a hoop in the backyard and he works with them and, you know, has them doing war- warm ups and stuff before practice starts. And he's really encouraging and really positive. Um I think he's a really, really good sports dad. Nice. Yeah. So with that, here's Liz's interview with Kristen Jones. Again, her new book is Raising Empowered Athletes, a Youth Sports Parenting Guide for Raising Happy, Brave, and Resilient Kids. Kristen, I had a chance to read your book, and it it really couldn't have come at a better time. One, So I have three boys who are... Um, 11, nine and six. And I will say that I, I definitely am feeling that pull. I'm sort of lucky because we move around. So it's a nice like break (laughs) to being in any one thing, but the questions we get about sports, I think are some of the hardest for us, um, my co-host and I to answer because we are sort of sucked into this world as well. And it's hard. Like we, we overwhelmingly know that what is happening feels wrong, but we're not really sure what we're supposed to do about it. And there's so much like guilt involved. So we're, we're going to dive into that. But I I do want you to give um, the state of youth sports today very briefly, because one of the most fascinating parts of your book is like, how did we get here? <laughs> like, Why are we in this mess? And you do a really nice job of kind of highlighting a few things that have happened. So can you briefly tell us why are we here? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So our generation grew up where you, you know, you went out in the street and you played until the lights went out and then you came inside and maybe a parent would go to a game. Maybe they wouldn't. There was zero expectation of, of playing in college or pro. It was just something you did because you had fun. And every season you play a different sport and you had a great time doing it. And in the early, late sixties, early seventies, you know, In the 50s, women were at home. In the 60s and 70s, women started to work. So we went from having 24% of women in the workforce to in the late 60s, early 70s, now nearly double the number of women get into the workforce. So what happens when both mom and dad are not home? Now we have a problem. We have some, we need to do something with the kids. So we've got to find some kind of activity that's going to keep them busy. And at the same time, what was going on was we were falling behind as a nation in academics. So we're finding that these other, other, countries are beating us in the academic realm and now our kids aren't as smart so we need to we need to compete with that and then the third leg of the stool is in 1981, John Adam Walsh was was abducted and executed and the most horrific thing happened. And 38 million people tuned in to, to hear about this abduction and it became this huge, well, well in reality, it really wasn't 
a big tide turning, what came across to the American people was it's not safe. And we can't just let our kids go out into the street and play when the lights go out. So we kind of had those kind of three things going on. And then back in 1981, this little now, you know, uh, show started called ESPN. And in 1981, we not only heard about sports, but we now are seeing it on our screen 24-7. So whereas in past generations, if there was a young player like a Tiger Woods or a Nadia Comaneci or a, a you know a Serena Williams, you would hear about them. But now we're getting them streamed into our living room 24-7. And we start to see some of the successes like Andre Agassi, like Tiger Woods. And parents are thinking, huh, I would love my kid to have a, a bigger focus. Huh, I now have some more resources because we have a double income and I want them in a safe environment. I don't think there was any master plan that parents set out <laughs> to create that, but somewhere along the line, um, you know, Anders Ericsson's work came out in the 10,000 hour rule and Malcolm Gladwell talks about that. So there was kind of this, in the late 70s, early 80s, this storm that happened where it was like the frog in the pot that just kind of gradually got turned up. That was, you know, Title IX happens in 1972. So I'm a product of that. Being able to play in college yeah. was something that, you know, my mother's generation, our mother's generation wasn't allowed to do. And then you get fast forward to when we're actually having kids, you know, it, it went from, wow, that was fun to play in college to, gosh, Literally, when I got pregnant, everybody and their dog hands you what to expect when you're expecting. And you're yeah. like, oh, that's so wonderful. I am going to be the best mother ever. And you like start reading it and you're so proud of yourself for being a great parent. You're not doing anything yet, but you think you are. And so you read that book cover to cover. And then four years later, you're standing on the sidelines, a kick and chase and living in Portland, Oregon, the rain's coming horizontal. And you got parents next to you saying, well, you're not going to do this wreck thing, are you? You We need to do, you got to do club. Like you're behind, you know, that Johnny is over there doing club and he's got to, and all of a sudden, even though I had already played at a high level and was working for Nike, this sporting goods giant, I felt the FOMO. And I was like, okay, what do I do? What am I, and what is the right thing to do? And so it's it's been this slow rising thing. But like I said, now it's a $20 billion industry where you have so much cash that is available to invest. And so we throw money at the problem. And what's happened is we have kids who are dropping out of sport by age 13. Yeah. Because why? Because they're not having fun. Why? Because since age six, I've needed, I've had this pressure on me to win and to get to the next team and to, you know, be going to Sweden this summer at age eight. Because if I'm not, if I really am going to make it in soccer, I've got to be playing internet, you know, no. It does feel like though, it's so easy to get caught up in feeling left behind, which is why I like the question, like, what is the goal? I mean, I try to think about that kind of in general, like, why are we doing <laughs> um, but I think we have lost some perspective on the why. Like, I think if you went and, and maybe you like ask people, why are you doing this? A lot of people are like, well, this is a pathway to something else. Can we talk about some of the, like what the goal is and the whys that are good? Like, what should we be saying? Why are we doing this? What we know is the more active we are as an, as a youth, the more, the longer run 
we're going to, the more term we're going to, we're going to be active as an adult. So if somebody is doing activity that said beyond the age of 13, they're more likely to be active in 23 plus. If they're being sedentary starting at eight, nine, 10, the chances of them not getting up and moving their body. And I'm not talking about competitive. I'm just talking about moving. If you want to be a surfer or a rock climber or a skateboarder, like it doesn't matter. We're just looking for movement because what we know is that lowers cortisol levels, that mm -hmm. raises endorphin levels, that makes the world a happy place for inside your inside your head. And COVID has been this horrendous storm of, you know, kids sitting in their rooms on their yeah. laptop in their pajama bottoms for 18 months, you know, and I, my middle son was very affected by this where you're depressed and you don't even know you're depressed because you're just sitting there all day. So moving your body, getting them exposure to different things. We have growth mindset or a fixed mindset. So what we want to teach them are, I'm not born good at anything. I yeah. can learn whether it's a language or a musical instrument or a sport or anything. And that's, you know, the, I say the real gift of what we sign up for athletics probably isn't what we think, you know, isn't when we look back on it, it's probably not going to be what we think it might be when we look forward. Oh, we want them to be all state or we want them to get recruited or you might get those answers. Yeah. When you look back and I've talked to several parents who are like team, discipline, yeah. hard work, you know, winning, losing, how to lose, how to, how to come off the bench how to get demoted. Like those are real life skills that you're going to have to deal with again in college. And then when your first job and your fifth job and in your relationships. And it's, I say a great resilience, gratitude are kind of the three big things that we're looking for. And we're looking for grit from a, it is a muscle. And just like going to the gym and working out or doing the reps physically, we want them to, and that goes back to, if you follow Jess Leahy, the gift of failure, like yeah. it's allowing them to fail. It's allowing it to not go well. Okay. You're the 10th guy on the roster. What are you going to do about it? That resonated so much because I learned more from playing on a very talented golf team as their fifth. Cause I had gotten hurt running track and field and somebody had to just be there and I could sort of hit a golf ball, right? I have great memories. I was a terrible golfer, uh, but the other women I played with were amazing. And I learned more from them and had more fun on that team than, you know, uh, playing on a softball team that did very well. <laughs> um, and, but I think in the moment, it's hard, you know, to see that. I'm wondering what you think you do if you get to the second question, which is, what do you do when you're asking yourself the second question? Like, is this actually about me? And you realize that, yeah, it, it kind of is like my kid is actually not that excited about this. And this has been about fulfilling something that I had left over. How can we rebound from that? Such a great question and so relevant. And I think you need to be honest with yourself. Um, and it's a spouse. If you have one to be asking the questions of why does she play? Why does he play? And how much are we seeing him or her asking for it? And if you are that parent who is, going nuts on the sidelines. You know, that's what I hope this book is, honestly, is nobody's doing a perfect job parenting. We're all falling down. But when we can put the mask on ourselves and go, oh, I, I am actually, you know, having this adverse reaction to what's going on, because then once we're aware, we can start to change it, right? Yeah. If we realize we're doing it, and I think there are, there's some parents who are just, no, no, no. And we signed up and I paid all this money. Yeah. And 
play and I don't care. And the child gets lost in the parenting. And I think I don't, again, I think every parent wants to think that in 15 or 20 years, the kid's going to want to still call them and, and tell them what's going on. And yet you have these, these kids who are saying, Oh, I, you know, I just had a guy on my podcast the other day. Who's the best player in the nation in volleyball, six, seven. And his dad was a football coach. And he was like, you're going to be a football player, based basketball player. That's it. Yeah. And said, in high school, I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to be a volleyball player. And he goes, it wasn't until my dad kind of like, Ooh, Oh, it's not my journey. And he allowed me to pivot. And thankfully he's a very good athlete. So he's able to pick it up, you know, fairly easily, but it's checking in with yourself. I, you know, to answer your question is what, what am I doing to support this journey? And is it about me or is my parenting ego getting in the way? And I love, I don't know if you're familiar with Sabari um, Shafali, Dr. Shafali's work on parenting and the conscious parent. She's written books on it, right? And she talks about really the most egotistical thing we can do is have a child. It really, oh, look what I produced. Aren't I wonderful? I have this offspring. And so you, you know, a lot of us parents like, you know, this is my prodigy, of course, my progeny. This is, of course, my greatest work. And so our ego gets attached to their success or failure, right? In everything. And that's where you get the college cheating scandal too, right? Like, oh, for sure. If, if, if my, you know, Gigi doesn't get into Yale, then it makes me look bad. No, it has nothing to do with you. And maybe she's not qualified to get into Yale. Maybe she'd be happier at the community college. But your ego is in the way saying that this is the only way. And what you're building is, you know, unfortunately, a world of hurt for both of you. So if your kid, let's say you have a kid in whatever sport, they're going to practice happily. It's, you know, I don't know, Thursday night. And they come and they just say, I just don't want to, I don't want to go tonight. I'm tired. I'm whatever. I just don't feel like going tonight. What are you telling them? So hard, right? <laughs> yes. Um, never happens. Ha ha. <laughs> uh, um, no, it happens all the time. And sometimes it's a legitimate reason. I just had a final the day before. I had to study all night. Or I think you need, again, it's it's on a case-by-case basis. And then it's on a kid-by-kid basis because you got to know what are the factors that are going on, You have the right? kid who always said you just can't get him out the door, right? Once he's out the door, he's fine. Yeah. Yes. I've got one of those. So, right? <laughs> so if it's that kid, then you're shoving him. Yeah. And the other kid who wouldn't miss if... You know, you know, it was hailing sideways. You then have to go, yeah, but I see that you're really tired and I see that you're worn down. And, you know, you you did sprain your knee last week. We need to do. So that's where we need to come in because, again, as a parent, you have to say this isn't healthy for you and help them make those decisions. And I think that's the place where we can really add value. And, you know, you probably will be met with some resistance, particularly if you're one of the better players, then the coach will rant and rave, but then you also see the ones that are the better players get to miss practice. And the ones that aren't as good of players, they miss a practice, then that gives the coach a reason to not play them. So hear that as well. Like, well, if I miss, then I'm never going to play because, you know, they're just looking for a reason to not play me. And that is in the whole nother discussion around coaching. And how do we, again, you got to fairly decide what the rules are. What are your hopes for youth sports? Like, let's say you can wave your magic wand and youth sports are perfect. What does that look like for you? Um, you know, I'm, again, I'm such a competitor and I played, you know, college D1. Yeah. Level, so I get it. And I, 
had two sons that are playing D1 level. So like, and I was totally supportive of that. And so there are going to be some that are going to get that experience. But what I would like to see is that more kids, the lion's share, the 80, 80%, 80-20, 80 the 80% of the kids that probably stop playing some point in high school have a more positive experience that leads to better outcomes in their mental health, their physical health, and their emotional health. I, that doesn't leave them with, I had the most horrific experience as a sophomore in high school with the, that soccer coach. Not only have I never touched a soccer ball again, but I will never watch the sport again. And that's what I believe the power of every single person has and the gift. We'd like to know your thoughts on how you think you can be the best sports parents or guardians you can be. Please email us at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-357-9318. That's also where you can send some questions you'd like for us to answer on the show. And that's our episode. Please subscribe, leave a rating and review, and tell your friends. This episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Mara Curry. Shasha Leonard is the voice of our listeners. Alicia Montgomery is VP of Slate Audio. For Zach Rosen, I'm Jamila Lemieux. Thanks for listening. <laughs>